This week on Inside the Ropes, we wrap up John Rahm's amazing victory at the US Open. We preview the Women's PGA Championships in Atlanta this week. And we have an impromptu Ask Clates with Mike Clayton. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. Welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 212. Uh, Mark Hayes joining you here, and I am uh, in esteemed company in the studio this morning, uh, joined by regular co-host Martin Blake. Welcome, Blakey. G'day, Hazy. Nice to see you. You too. And the ever popular. We haven't we haven't had him for a while because there's been a lot of COVID things going on. But um, we've we've dredged him up, mask on. He's got personal protective equipment on. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Mike Clayton, welcome back. Thank you, Blakey. Nice to be back in the city. We've been at St Andrews Beach for seems like a year and a half now. But... <laughs> Escaping the uh, yeah, it's been, pandemic. It's been great down there. You're like Gilligan Island. You went on a three minute cruise. Yeah, and... we didn't come back. Yeah. Somebody was telling me the other day that you've been hitting. Uh, Practice uh, sand shots out on the beach. I've been practicing. I'm not sure if you're allowed to technically, but I've been going down the beach and hitting golf balls on the beach, which is yeah. it's a great place to practice because you can't hit it fat in the beach. Yeah, you've got to flush huh. it. So, so I've enjoyed playing on the beach. It's good. You, you find would... the find the low tide and get down there. And was it, it Percy Serity who did all that stuff? I used to train Herb Elliott in the up sand and down hills. the sand dunes. Yeah. This is what you're going to do? Are you the modern day Percy no, Serity? No, I'm the I'm the well, Sevy was my no. I, dare I say contemporary, but he learned to play on the beach in Padrania because he really wasn't allowed to play on the course. He's just a caddy. Oh, right. oh he's, yeah. So you can see how you can learn to play golf really well on the beach because mm. you find the hard sand, you've got to hit the ball perfectly. It's always a bit windy. Um, you can you know, pick the balls up, you're full around with bunker shots and you can you, you could you could teach someone to play golf on the beach legitimately and they'd be, cause, I mean, the smooth sand is perfect to putt on. Some pretty nasty water carries yeah, down there, mate. Yeah, no, there are some great holes down there. <laughs> I reckon Percy Serity, the modern Percy. I don't know if we should call Clates Percy. It's probably won't going to end well. But, yeah, but um, the tide goes out a long way in Britain. I've seen Trevino practice on the beach at Birkdale and we used to practice on the beach in Jersey because it goes out so far. It's a, mm. it's a great place to practice. Mm. Fascinating. Uh, well, it's been a massive week in golf already this week uh, with the US Open. We'll talk about that in depth here, but we'll, we're going to investigate uh, what's going to happen at, in Atlanta this week for the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Um, we're going to talk to Karen Lunn about that, Blakey, and and a few other drib, bibs and bobs. Second major, they, is it? Second major, third major? This uh, is major. the third major, third major of, of the year, yeah. women's calendar. Um, still a couple to come across in Europe, um, scattered around the Olympics, of course, so... Um, but a big it's been a big week. I don't know where we start with the men, but um, the obvious thing to, to do is talk about John Rahm. Um, Rambo. Yeah. I mean, he was, whatever way you look at it, he was done a, um, you know, he had some rough justice uh, yep. at, at, the, at the memorial a couple of weeks earlier, um, had it shot to pieces effectively and was tapped on the shoulder with his COVID problems. Um, he would argue, listening to him yesterday, that it was fate. Well, uh, Clates, I think he said afterwards that he felt like he was in a movie because if you put all the elements together, the withdrawal at, at uh, Memorial, uh, the fact that he was back at Torrey Pines where he won his first PGA Tour event in 2017 and he proposed to his wife Kelly there or near the course at the very least, uh, the fact that he made two monster birdie putts, including the one on the, the last hole to win it, 
Uh, so there was a bit of that aspect to it. And he goes to number one in the world. So there's a whole bunch of things there that, you know, make it. It's, it's one we're going to remember, isn't it? Yeah. And he made that crazy putt to win that. What do they call it? The San Diego Open? What do they call it? The Farmers, Farmers Insurance. Insurance now? Yeah. I call it the San Diego Open. But um, <laughs> remember, he made that putt from the back of the green for an eagle. That was that for an eagle. Yeah. Putt, yeah. That was his opening win on the PGA yeah, Tour. Yeah. His first win. So he's got, he should dig that green up and take it home. Or, Make a replica in his back. Well, this one was 18 feet left to right, and the one at 17 was 24 feet. So some big putts there, and he shot 67. So really, I mean, people will talk about Louis Eustace and uh, Hazy losing it, but yeah. in some ways, uh, Louis made a couple of mistakes, in particular one on the 17th where he hit it down in the canyon to the left. But uh, he has a, a bit of a history, and we can talk a bit about him later maybe, but... Rahm really jumped up and won it, didn't he? Yeah, Louis didn't lose it. I think Louis was five under after 13. And he finished five under. I mean, they were, he had a bunch of hard holes to finish. and mm. um, He played great golf, really. Uh, uh, yeah, right with those putts on the last two holes. I mean, there. <clears throat> there's an element of luck. You don't make one of those putts, probably. To make two of them was incredible. Yeah, so he's one behind when he makes the, the yeah. first of those two. Yeah. And, Around the same time, Oosthuizen is obviously behind him. Uh, goes, you know, hard left on 17, Hazy. Watching that hole, it's a dog leg right to left. And a lot of the players were bailing out to the right, even if they got into the rough. And Louis took a very aggressive line, which he said afterwards that uh, he would he would do again because he wanted to get down and hit a sandwich into the green. He was thinking birdie, mm. basically. But realistically, he didn't, he didn't need to, did he? Well... You know, the big question was they'll look in the books and say well, he lost by a shot and bogeyed 17. But the question is, would he have made four at 18 if he'd had to make four? Mm. Would he have made that putt? Yes. You know, he casually brushed that 15-footer in down the hill to lose by one. That was a much different putt if you had that to tie. To, Agreed. You know, so you can't really say the bogey cost him at 17 yeah. because he still had to birdie the last and that was, a, that was no certainty. Well, obviously it didn't help, but... You know, the fact was he would he have made that putt at 18 if he'd had that putt to tie. Blakey, I actually thought that aside from a bit of a dodgy stretch in the third round, that Rahm was the best value all week. I thought he missed an absolute ton of putts by, you know, a, a poofteenth of a millimetre, you know. And, and to me, he was clearly the best player all week. I just don't think he got the rewards on the scorecard the first couple of days. And I, I think that scorecards are you know, fairly good indicators. In the last round, um, he was the best player comfortably uh, of, of the contenders. I mean, it's he was head and shoulders above the rest of them, including Louis in my estimation. Yeah, look, he's he he doesn't seem to me, Clates, to have a weakness. Like, he drives the ball great. He hits his irons really good. He's an excellent putter. He's fantastic out of the bunkers. I don't, I don't know where his weakness is. He's only 26 years of age. He's going to be a force for a long, long time, this guy. And he didn't sound surprised to me. Hazy, I'm wondering, we, we might have a listen to John Rum afterwards where he talks about uh, a bit of karma kicking in from Memorial a couple of weeks ago. Let's have a listen to John Rum. How did you handle the tremendous adversity you were dealt in the last couple of weeks to get to this point? This is for anybody listening, the power of positive thinking. I was never resentful towards anybody. I never blamed anybody. That simply was out of my control. What I could control was golf, and I was playing some of the best golf of my life. And 
again, even though I was in bed, just watching cartoons on TV, I really stayed positive and that helped me get my two positive negative tests early. I was able to start practicing early. I was able to spend some time with my family early and come out here uh, re-energized. And again, I'm a big believer in karma. Good things happen to good people and I am a good person. And I knew after what happened, fair or not, it happened, but I knew that today, this week could have been a, a payback for that. And that helped me stay really positive and really helped me believe that this was possible. And Yeah, look, that, that must have been hard to come back from that moment. But you can see here, there, that he, he obviously just put it away, uh, couldn't control it. And uh, back he comes and wins the US Open and goes to back to number one in the world. It's not the first time he's been number one. He was number one last year for a period of time before Dustin... Johnson took over him, and uh, just with I'm interested in Louis Oosthuizen Clates. I love watching him play. He's got probably the best swing in the game, if not. You yeah, know. it's a bit. Well, it's a beautiful looking swing. Technically, very good. He's a great hitter, though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's he's very good. Is yeah. he a bit of a Greg Norman? Is he, does he find ways? I mean, that's his seventh. Hey, that's his seventh <laughs> runner-up finish in a major, and he's had a whole string of top tens on top of that. Um, I mean, all good players finish runner-up at some point at Jack Nicholas with 19 and leads all comers. But um, Louis, I always remember I was at the Masters in 12 when he lost the playoff to Bubba Watson and Bubba hooked that ball into the trees on the 10th in the playoff and Louis walked up to the tee. He's got a three-wood in his hand. He's just got to put it in play and he hit it hit it everywhere. So mm. um, I think he's not a great closer. That's what I'd say. Do you yeah, agree a, with that? Yeah, he's a... He's a mystery, Louis, isn't he? I mean, he should have won more, but he's had a tremendous. You can't. It's hard to be good enough to be second that many times. That's right. You know, yes. I mean, the, the bigger mystery to me is Rory. He, he's the great. I mean, if someone had said when he walked off that green at Valhalla that he's not going to win another major for seven years, twenty fourteen, yeah, I think you were completely crazy. Yep. There are a lot of hard luck stories, weren't there, Hazy? Like Rory shooting seventy three, and what, what about? Um, Rory, 39 on the back nine. Well, he had a putt. He's the one where he three-putted, which really sent him into the that spiral. Started, didn't it? That was – he had a putt to go to the lead. Yeah. I think that was the 11th, yeah. Just kind of plays millionaire golf, doesn't he, Rory? Seems like he just wastes shots everywhere. Mm. And he looks to me like he's the – he plays his best. He looks to me like he's the best player. Yeah. Because everyone looks great when they play great golf. They all look really good. Ram looks great. When Johnson plays well, he looks fantastic. Kepka. Mo- Kepka's amazing. I mean, Kepka's record's incredible. Morikawa was the you know, brilliant iron play. He missed a few putts, but... Thomas DeChambeau. Yeah. The list goes on. We'll talk about DeChambeau in a second, but I I sort of tend to think that Louis... I think it's an absolutely stunning statistic that he hasn't got a win on the United States. That's amazing. I couldn't believe that one. I was like, surely he's won there somewhere. Yeah. It's amazing. It is incredible. <clears throat> that, to me, is the most amazing one, but... I think he gets the most out of himself at these events, playing against the you know the superstars that Clates just listed off there. I, I would love to see him have two or three wins, but he's sort of getting to the Norman category in, in a lot of ways of, of contention without getting over the line. I don't think he's in the Norman category of quality and class, but he definitely has you know closing issues. Runner-up finishes in majors by man Jack Nicholas 19, Phil Mickelson 11, including six in the, the US, US Open. Open. Yeah. Arnold Palmer, 10. Uh, Tom Watson, 8. Sam Snead, 8. Greg Norman, 8. That's the list. Yeah, you've got to so be he's, good to, he's heading into that territory. You've got to be good to finish second. Yeah. Well, you've got to play great golf to finish second in a major. Yeah. Well, 
Well, we, we always talk about it as a failure, but... And as uh, Louis hit... I don't in 156 him, player field, is it a failure? I don't remember him hitting, like, horrendous shots to lose. I no. mean, Greg had a couple No, of, true. Greg had that terrible day at Augusta and hit a couple of shockers that... Augusta yeah. in 86, he had, a, he had a couple of bad finishes, but... And Palmer had some terrible finishes. I mean, he double bogeyed 18 at Augusta with a 7 on his hand in 61 and shot 39 to, versus Casper's 32 at Olympic and blew a 7-shot lead. And, mm. you know, he, he had some bad ones. So what about Bryson, Hazy? What did you make of his finish? He shot uh, 77 with a back nine of 44. 44. And he was in front. He did hit the lead, DeChambeau. When he he almost aced one of the par threes on the front yeah, line. Yeah, I told you. There's a lot of oh, there's, there's a lot of Schadenfreude going on there, wasn't it? Yeah, amongst the very much so. You know, I think I'm, Hazy enjoyed it. I, mean, I think you know it's interesting. Scott Forsyth's decade, Scott Forsyth's decade stuff, which is data driven analytics of how to play and what your margins are and what the right choices of club is off the tee. And it, clearly, it, you know, part of it is bomb it as far as you can off the tee. And try and miss it in the sensible spots, and it paid off at Wingfoot. But clearly, you know, he drove it. He's trying to hit the ball as hard as he can, so his foot slips on thirteen. Well, if you're going to, if you're hitting the ball as hard as you can, how, how many times did you ever see Jack Nicklaus's foot slip? So, you know, and if you're not putting an absolute premium on hitting the fairway, but you're trying to hit it as far as you can, you're going to drive it. You know, hole like thirty, drove it in the rough, got a terrible lie, didn't get it out, made seven. And well, Bryson perhaps you should have hit the ball in the fairway. Yeah. And don't go whinging about bad lies and bad breaks in the rough. There were no bad lies in the middle of the fairway. So, so Bryson DeChambeau, <clears throat> just just setting the record st- straight here, in comparison with John Rahm, he's, he's older by a year. Mm. Um, so it's a fairly good comparison. So Rahm, in terms of his major championships, he's already got what's it, two, five, six, seven, seven top tens and a win now. And he's been knocking on the door. DeChambeau, for all his, you know, bluster and everything like that, he's got his win, obviously. And he was fourth in the PGA Championship last year as well. Mm. No other top tens. A string of missed cuts. A lot of really low finishes. His next best is T15. That's not a great record, to be fair, in major championships. And I know his game's gone next level in the last two years. But if there's ever a bloke that plays like a millionaire, as you said, with Rory... He's, he's he plays like a billionaire to me, Clates. Well, it's just he tries to hit the ball as far as he can with. I'm not going to say no regard for where it goes because at Wingfoot he missed the ball. He missed a lot of fairways, but he missed them on the side he could play from. But you, you, you know, you, with a chance to win, he got on 13 and bashed it as, hard, as far as he could, drove it in the rough in a terrible lie, made double bogey and completely took himself out of the tournament. Some point you've got to hit the ball in the fairway, I think. And you know, you go back to I go back to. Obviously, David Graham, but a phenomenal round he played. But Nicholas's back nine in 1980 at Baldur's Roll, he had every fairway and every green. It was a textbook display of how to win a tournament under pressure. And it was what it showed up Lexi Thompson's failure mm-hmm. two weeks ago, where she couldn't hit the thing on the course in the end. And you've got to win these things. Ultimately, you can get lucky or you play great golf. You drive the ball in the fairway and hit the ball in the green. And it's really hard to do when the pressure's up on difficult golf courses. Quiet week for the Aussies, Hazy, wasn't it? Uh, one of the quietest in a major championship for a very long time. So Adam Scott, 35th. Didn't see much of him on the coverage. Wade Ormsby was Made a lot of birdies. Wade Ormsby was good in the weekend. Made a couple of well, strokes that cost him dearly, but he finished in the same 
bracket really as mm. as, as Scott, but Matt Jones was the the one to me because I thought he was close enough at the thirty six hole mark to sort of push on. But he had playing against Rory on Saturday when he moved and went well. He I think he probably pushed to go with him and he blew up on the back nine unfortunately. And Cam Smith missed cut. Which, he made two uh, triples. Un- unusual. Thing. Yeah, yeah, two triples on the back nine. Did something ridiculous. He made. I think, yeah, I think he made two triples on the back nine on yeah. Friday. I think he only missed the cut by one. <clears> missed by he, one? Yeah. Uh, he's a little bit off the boil at the moment, would you say? Uh, no, I wouldn't have said that no. at all until no. until well, here. I, 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 four and a half million dollars in the money list. He's going, he's having a great year. But mm. Peter Thompson wrote a great article. Thompson only ever had the best interest of Australian players at heart in 1981. It's my first year as a pro member, and Bill Rogers had come down and won a couple of tournaments, and I think Eamon Darcy had won in Adelaide. And the Australians hadn't won anything. And Thompson wrote an article kind of taking a shot at the local players. And what's wrong with you guys? Come on, get your act together. Start playing better. All with the best intent to fire us up. And Greg took it the wrong way. And, ah, oh, bloody Peter Thompson's this and Peter Thompson's that. And always negative and complaining. And it was, he completely missed the point of Thompson saying, come on, you guys, what are you doing? And, you know, it seems for the longest time when it's you – know, so someone used to say when it comes – it was Hubert Green's quote. He said, when it's come to stand up in majors, I've always sat down mm. until he won the US Open in 77. But, you know, it's these guys have, haven't been great for a while now. I mean, Adam's way better player than finishing bottom half of the cut makers. Leishman hasn't done much. You know, they've, they've been ordinary for as good as they are. Compared with the South Africans, who are, there's always a, 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 there's always a South African there. It does seem to be one lately. So, you know, I was talking to someone last night. And I said, if I was going to bet on the next Australian player to win a major, it might be Elvis Smiley. That's an amazing call. Class. But I say that with, come on, you, you know, get your act together. Yeah. Start, start playing better in the majors because these guys are fantastic players. I mean, Cam Smith's a brilliant player, perfect game for majors. Adam Scott's got the, still got one of the best swings in golf. Leishman's still, you know, he's like, they've all had great careers. Oh, they're having great careers. I'm, I'm staggered well, that no, you've got... No, they're not. They're not having great careers. Great careers are multiple majors. So that's a bad use of the word great. Seve uh, was a, on the edge of being a great player. Okay. You know, Trevino, Palmer player, they're great players. They're having incredibly lucrative careers and they're really good players and they play a lot of good golf. But, you know, last week was a classic example of when it came to stand up, they all sat down last week. There you go, Blakey. Some, well, maybe the next Australian major winner might be a woman. Might be Hannah Green or Minji Lee could or be. Sue O. Maybe. Could be, yeah. Well, yeah, we're talking about men's major winners, but mm, yeah, um, it, yeah, that's a really big call. So you'd have Elvis ahead of Min yeah. Woo, for example. Min Woo Lee, maybe. Uh, I would Lucas have. Herbert, I think or? Cam Davis is the great sleeper amongst that lot. Yeah, I think he's could be really good. Mm. You know, he's quietly going. He's fantastic player. I think he's building. Yeah. Yeah, and Cam Smith's good. And you wonder if, well, I think you, know, you want a Scott and Day Dunn. You know, have they had their Harrington spoke on a podcast the other day about players having a kind of an eighteen-year or two-month window. Mm-hmm. And a, a Day and Scott, are they, you know, their window's long shut. I don't know. Well, I don't think Adam Scott's one's necessarily shut. I think Jason Day's is. Unfortunately, he's getting too far back. I mean, you don't even qualify for this one. Um, He's going to need a lot of things to go right to contend. He's got a lot of issues mm. to deal with to be a contender. There's some really good, genuinely good players there now. 
I would, you know, they've you, always been good players. Though. I mean, every, I, every generation's had fantastic players. Absolutely. And Jason's obviously a brilliant player. He plays well, but how can you not even go to the qualifying? But you, well, he had, yeah. Nah. But you talk about um, McElroy's best being the best, which I think I've agreed with for a long time. I'm actually starting to tend towards um, Rahm as being the most consistent player of a lot of them. But there's the Thomas Johnson McElroy. Kepka crew, McElroy's the tenth ranked player in the world now. That's not where you want to be if you're the if your best is the best. That's a long way down. Well, he's changing his swing too, which I think's really interesting that he would be a natural drawer of the ball all his life and then he goes to another mm. coach and says, Okay, I'm gonna hit a power fade, you know. Mm. Uh, which obviously Hogan did and uh, Jack Nicholas was a fader. A lot of the good players are faders, aren't they? Rahm's a fader, but um for Rory to do that, that's a quite a big change, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know what he's doing, really. I mean, good or bad, I don't I mean, his teachers... Has he seen Como? Has he seen Chris Como? Or? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, he's a good teacher. He knows what he's doing. Mm. It was interesting to see his swing won the US Open, though, the Women's Open. So, so that, that swing works. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. You we, saw it, we saw it work at the US Women's Open. Yeah, that's very true. But Roy's... Um, a, I mean, I, you know, at some point you can, you can talk about winning and losing, but just watching someone play golf, I mean, it's amazing watching Roy play golf. I love watching him play. Like sometimes I don't care if they win or lose, really. It's just like, show me someone playing golf as well as it can be played, and he's Rory's great. right there. He's great. Like, he's a great player. Yeah, and, and in my time, Seve was the guy to watch. I mean, it was he's, he was the guy to watch, to watch golf played not better than anyone's ever played, but so much passion and yeah. joy and flair. Incredible shots, and, you know, it's amazing to watch golf played like that. All right, you've already gone out on a limb once. I'm going to put you out there one more time, Clayton, even in the first segment here. Give us your rundown of Tory Pines now that you've seen it in action again. Well, it's a Tom Doak in his zero to ten ranking of golf courses, which is the best ranking mm-hmm. system for ranking courses. So for those who don't know it, Royal Melbourne's one of fifteen tens in the world. Kingston Heath's a, an eight. Metro uh, Metropolitan's a six. Harsh, but no. That, that, well, that's how his ranking works. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, a really fine. good system. Yep. It was it was made for travelling golfers who. We're paying a lot of money to go around the world, and here's what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And three is the standard of the average course in the world, a three. Okay. And Torrey Pines is a five. Five? Yeah. So, and Doak's a good judge of a golf course. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly. I thought you were going to say lower. Well, five's pretty good. Have you played it close? No, never even been there. So, you, know, you say, why well, you How do you know? But clearly, it's a great test of golf. They've had two great opens there, great finishes, but. I've seen great finishes in Cronstusier as well, and that's about the worst course you've ever played in a, in a, in a <laughs> pro golf in, in Switzerland. So you can have a great finish on a great stage, but it's not a great bit of architecture. Mm. You know, I think I detest narrow fairways lined with high grass. Fairways so narrow that as far as the ball goes, most guys can't hit more than 50% of them. So mm. there's so much golf played at a long grass. Cart paths look horrible. You know, the greens are very bunker left, bunker right. It's hard to tell. On TV, it's hard to tell one hole from another. Just you know, pond, The pond in front of the green on the 18th. The pond very, in front of that is just appalling. You know, but you can, you can have all that stuff and still have a great course for, to find the best player. And clearly the last the, the two opens there have been incredible. Yeah. Historic opens, really, in terms of, you know, Tiger winning, that was amazing. You know, this was a great finish. So, you know, you, you can have a, 
a great stage. It isn't a great piece of architecture. Yep. But, but you know, of the U.S. Open courses, every other one would be a Doak 8 and above, I think, is a Doak 8 and above. So, so it's a, clearly, a, in, in term, for someone who's one of the best judges of a golf course in the world, he's got it a long way last in terms of... Open rotor. How he rates the terms in. And the rating is, if you're going to get in a plane and fly to the United States to play golf, here's what you're going to get. Yep. And there are a lot of courses that get six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 before you get down to the five at Torrey Pines, yeah, which isn't true. to say it's not a great place to play the open. Yep. Just not a great, don't tell me it's a great course. And looks they, good on TV. And these people that say, well, it's had two great finishes, so therefore it must be, a, well, no, it's not, you can have a, I mean, Andy North won at Oakland Hills. Sorry. Uh, yeah, at Oakland Hills and Steve Jones, Andy North. Andy North won at Cherry Hills. And he won at Oakland Hills, and Steve Jones won at Oakland Hills. Does that make Oakland Hills a bad course? Because guys who were probably not in the top 70 in the world won the tournament? No, Oakland Hills is a great golf course. Mm. Mm. So having a great golf course doesn't necessarily mean the best player is going to win, and having a Doak 5 doesn't necessarily mean you can't have a great championship and the best player is not going to win it. Just recapping before we move on to the Women's PGA Championship after the break, just further to what Blakey said before, the Australians, 35th Adam Scott, 40th Wade Ormsby, 64th Leishman, 65th Jones, missed cuts Cameron Smith, Brad Kennedy, and Steve Allen. Um, I don't think that's the course for Steve Allen, unfortunately. No. I mean, he's had a truckload of bogeys and pushed and had a couple of nasty holes as well. So uh, good to see him back there, though. He's obviously had a great time and um, you know, might be the good stepping stone for him when he turns 50 in three years to, to get out and get among it again. So that's good. Um, We'll come back and go around all the other tours a little later on in the program. There's some really good stuff from us from the Australian perspective. But for now, let's take a break. And on the other side, we'll come back and discuss the upcoming women's major, the PGA Championship. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Uh, and as ever, we're uh, delighted to welcome our next guest, Karen Lund, the Chief Executive Officer of the Women's Professional Golf Association Tour of Australia. Karen, welcome back. Um, it's a, a big week in the women's game. Yeah, hi guys. Yeah, it sure is. Obviously, um, you know, massive event, major championship, huge prize money up for grabs, and hopefully we can see a couple of Aussie names up there on the leaderboard uh, come Sunday. Where does, where does this sit in the women's game? In my mind, I've got it sort of number two, perhaps, to the US Open. Would that be right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, when I played in the States um, on the LPGA Tour as the LPGA Championship, it was it was probably a peg below, I would say, um, the US Open. Um, I think now probably for a lot of the players, um, especially the non-Americans, probably the Women's British Open is probably right up there as well. So I would say second or third, but certainly, um, you know, since it's become the KPMG uh, championship, uh, Women's PGA Championship back in 2015, it's really elevated the profile of the event. Um, obviously, the prize money, um, you know, is one of the biggest in the women's game. Um, you know, the winner's going to take away $675,000 uh, US dollars, which is a nice week's work uh, by anyone's standards. So, yeah, I mean, it's certainly right up there and it's an important time for the year obviously it's uh i think it's the final qualifying event for the women's olympics uh the representatives to be announced uh, very soon um and obviously in terms of money list um points and everything it's a really important event for the players so um yeah i think it's right up there right up there with probably the u.s women's open for a lot of the players yeah 4.5 million u.s uh total prize money lunny which sort of makes me think you're playing at the wrong time you you had your career too early <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's easy to think that, but you know, you know, yeah, I mean, back at back when I played, four hundred thousand US was was a big purse, and I remember when we actually had the first um, million dollar event uh, at the Sprint Championship in Daytona Beach. People couldn't believe we were playing for a million dollars. So, you know, that was twenty something years ago. But you know, it's great to see you know these young women being rewarded. I mean, the, the LPGA Tour is in a great place, and um, the product's a fantastic one. Um, you know, week in week out, we're seeing players from all over the world contending and. Um, yeah, this, this year we've had 13 different champions um, up until last week. Nelly quarter one, and that was her second win of the year, but really 13 different winners in 13 events to start the year off. It just shows how competitive and how tough it is to win out there. Karen, Hannah Green will be one of the uh, big chances for Australia this week. She won this event two years ago. Uh, but I was interesting during the week I wrote a story that she she's going to play this event and then come home to Perth for, I think, five. she's going to miss about five weeks of tournament play just to... Yep. Uh, refresh and get some time at home with family, which I know from the past that Hannah is very uh, big on. You know, she sets her schedule so that she can come home a couple of times a year. Otherwise, she just uh, kind of gets too lonely, I guess. And, uh, you know, that's that's a big issue for her in particular, isn't it? But, but for all players. But it's a little bit unusual, isn't it, to, to take a break? I mean, she's actually missing the Evian, which is a major. Uh, that's right, you know, she is, because she's... She... Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, if you, it wouldn't happen in normal times. Obviously, having to quarantine for two weeks is tough. And I know Hannah's first uh, year in the States, she she admitted to being very homesick and really struggled being away um, all year. And then, obviously, after that, she planned a schedule so she could come home a couple of times a year. And that was great up until COVID. Um, obviously, coming home is, is tough when you have to quarantine for two weeks. But, you know, obviously, for her, it gives her a chance to see her family, um, sort of really regroup, have three weeks practice, um, you know, with a coach. Richie Smith heading into the Olympics, which is obviously, you know, as, as a player, you don't know how many how many shots you're going to get at the Olympics. So I know it's right up there on Hannah's radar. So, you know, I, I understand that, that there will be more Evian championships. Um, you know, that's obviously, you know, missing a, an event of that prize money and world ranking points. It's a tough call. But, um, you know, I think if I was in her shoes, I'd be doing the same thing. So, you know, hats off to her. You know, she obviously the Olympics is right up there for her and she really wants to play well and give herself the best chance. And, and obviously after she's, you know, refreshed, been home, seen her family, um, you know, she'll probably play better at the end of the year anyway. Kaz, um, I'm assuming the Olympics is before the British Open? Uh, the Olympics is in five weeks. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure I haven't got the schedule right okay. ahead of me. But, yeah, it'll be before the British Open. Those Obviously, everything had to be moved around a little bit to uh, the last minute to, to fit the Tokyo Olympics in 2021. So, yeah, um, yeah, everyone's early and, and the Women's British Open and Scottish Open, um, yeah, that... I think, are coming up not too far after the Olympics. So And they're playing that tournament in Ireland. So, the so, so yeah, I, exactly I was trying to say this morning, I think they're there for five weeks or something, aren't they, over in Europe? Evian, oh, British, Irish, could. Scottish, with a week off for the Olympics yeah. in between. So, so I think they're yeah, something like that. Yeah, you know, which is obviously good if you're going to travel to Europe. It's nice to be able to not just go for one week because it's, it's a big ask, changing time zones. You know, having to deal with jet lag and everything, and then jumping on a plane and and having to head. We've all done it, but we all know that it's not ideal. So. You know, there's obviously a lot of money to be played for, and obviously I think the girls enjoy, a lot of them enjoy going to, to Great Britain and playing some very, very different golf to what they, they normally do and play in some very different conditions as well. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big time for, you know, around that time of the year. Like I said, there's a, there's a lot up for grabs. And just to clarify that before we move on, Blakey, the, the Evian Championship is the week before the Olympics then there's, uh, or two weeks before the Olympics then, uh, I, I guess it's a weird new event. I shouldn't say weird, but a, an addition to the LPGA calendar, the ISPS Hand to World Invitational, which is immediately before the Olympics. 
uh, and that's in Northern Ireland, yep. then the Olympics, then the Scottish Open, and then back for the Women's Open okay. at, uh, at Carnoustie. And Karen, uh, yep, Clay's, exactly. just, Clay's just mentioned Sue Oh, who he's done some mentoring and caddying for in the past, but uh, one really good thing that's been happening in the last few weeks is that Sue's playing a bit better, and she was tied 15th. Uh, over the weekend in, uh, I think it was in Wichita. So she was actually in contention after Grand a couple Rapids, of couple yeah. rounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so that that was good to see. I hope, hopefully Sue, you know, Sue obviously had a, an incredible amateur career and she's, you know, held her ground, I guess, as a, as a professional. She's playing on the top tour in the world, but we might have expected a little bit more of her, I, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think we probably all did. Um, you know, her and Menji, you could throw a blanket over them when they're amateurs. You know, they'd beat each other. One would beat the other one, and one would beat the other one the next week. And, you know, you really... I watched them both play a lot as amateurs, and, you know, I actually thought Sue was a better shot maker and a better um, a better golfer than Menji, but she didn't... At the time, she certainly didn't have Menji's short game, which is just absolutely exceptional. Um, yeah, maybe it is a little bit disappointing. I know she's had some good finishes on the LPGA, uh, but probably not as she would have, and obviously this year she started, she had a pretty rough start, but has shown some form in, in recent weeks. And I think Sue's very much, I know Clayton might, might agree that she's a confidence player and she's had some good rounds under her belt. Um, and she'll be, you know, she'll be heading into this week, you know, thinking she can win. She was right up there for a long way last week in an event that people were shooting, you know, some really low scores. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I'd, get, I'd give Sue a, you know, sort of a bolter's chance this week. Clearly Hannah's our, our best chance. Um, you know, even Minji's had a pretty rough start by her very lofty standards this year. She hasn't been in the form we've expected her to be in, and she really hasn't contended much. So um, she'll be, you know, we, we've been talking about her getting the monkey off her back, winning that first major. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I can't see it happening this this week in the form that she's in, given uh, some of the best players in the world are just playing some amazing golf at the moment. But, you know, knowing Minji, she's such an amazing talent and such a great golfer. She could, you know, she could throw in a good week without shocking anyone, really. Is um, Yuka Sasso the favourite after Olympic? I mean, she was got that Roy McIlroy swing happening. That was she's an amazing looking player. She's a great player, and, and you know she's been coming down here playing in events. Um, in our event since she was a little kid and we've just seen her progress. She's a great kid and she's a, a you know a prodigious talent. There's no doubt about that. It wasn't a shock to me at all that she was in contention um, and you know the way she came back in that final round when she got off to that awful start was a real testament to her attitude and, and you know she's going to go on and do great things. I think probably Envy Park would have to be the favourite this week. She's played really well all year. Um, saves her best golf for the major championships. Um, obviously Nellie Corder has been in amazing form. Yuka with her win um, you know, as world number one, Shin Young Ko, Sa Young Kim, the defending champion. So, you know, it's it's going to be a really hard hard event to win because there's you know a lot of the best best players in the world are, are doing well. And then you've got Lexi. Let's uh, you know, who knows how she'll bounce back after you know that really oh, I guess by her standards, you know, dreadful finish to to the U.S. Open. Yeah, we were talking about Louis and his kind of record in majors where he's had that one win, but bunch of seconds and Sayong Yu's a bit that way too. She's had, she won two yep. majors, but you know, week in, week out, she's almost the best. I think she's almost the best player out there. She just doesn't she's great win as much as the others, but you know, nothing no, would surprise me you know, if, if, if she won. I mean, she, she played well last week or she, she didn't play last week. She played yep. well the week before. I think she was, th- she was tied with Hannah for third, I think, mm-hmm. but you know, she, yeah, she plays well every week, doesn't she, Clay? You're yeah. absolutely right. I mean, she's she's up there all the time, and you know, she 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 often finishes with a really strong round to get her up there as well. But she's a class player, as you know, you've seen her play enough, and so have I. And, 
with Mikey Patterson, you know, carrying her bag, which I presume she still is. She's got one of the best caddies out there. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have any doubt that she could well be up there. It's, it's going to be a really interesting week. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Karen, I was, we've obviously been talking earlier about John Rahm. He was the dominant figure in the amateur game for a couple of years, the number one uh, amateur on the men's side for a while when he was still at university in Arizona. Leona Maguire had that sort of mantle uh, in the women's game for quite a while, and she wasn't really a prominent player for the rest of the world away from the college scene. She looks uh, like she's really taking that John Rahm step up in class in the last few tournaments. Yeah, I mean, I've, Leon, I've known Leona and her sister Lisa since I were little kids. I mean, they were kind of like the child prodigies coming out of Ireland were expected to do these wonderful things. And, and um, you know, Lisa, her sister's actually given up playing. Leona um, obviously took a while to sort of find her feet on the LPGA Tour, but clearly she has now. And like, she's she's one of my smokies for this week. She's played really well the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, took Nelly quarter down the stretch uh, last week, mm. which takes some doing so. Um, you know, she's playing really well. And obviously, you know, with the Solheim Cup year, um, you know, Solheim Cup captain Katrina Matthews got some tough decisions to make in a couple of months' time because uh, the young Finnish player winning a couple of weeks ago and Leona playing well, with some of the um, established players not playing as well, it's uh, it's going to be really interesting. But, no, I agree with you, Leona. And, and another one this week, I think, to watch is Xu uh, Yu uh, Lin, uh, Janet Lin, who my sister Marty caddy for for many years. Um, Janet's been having a great year, and she's a quality player as well. And it's only a matter of time before she breaks through and wins. And she could easily contend this week as well as... Yeah, there's, there's some good young players to watch. Obviously, Lydia Coe's number, I think she's third on the money list. She's had a really good year, got back in the winner's circle. Um, Aria Jatanagam's playing really well as well. So, that, you know, there's a handful of players that, you know, are going to be up there and contending. So, uh, you know, and, and the winner's check, 675000 US dollars. It's not to be sniffed at. So there'll be a few uh, nerves around there on Sunday afternoon. I love the excitement in your voice when it comes to the big tournaments, because it's a cracker. I'd last name we we uh, Gabby Ruffles to me. Uh, obviously, it would be a huge. Uh, it'd be a massive shock if she were to win uh, the KPMG, but she's played in um, she's played in four major championships and hasn't finished outside the top twenty. Can you believe that for someone with with uh, so few miles on the on the tank, so so to speak? Yeah, I mean, it, it is. That's an amazing stat, Hazy. Actually, I mean, we all know that Gabby is quality, and and when you consider how how long she's only been playing the game, let alone you know as a leading amateur and as a professional, you know, she's not one of these kids that started playing at ten years old or whatever. So, um, you know, clearly she's very very talented. Um, you know. Whether or not she could win an event like this, I don't know. But she's contended in a major before, and, and she's contended in LPGA events. So um, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't completely shock, but she'd really have to be at her best this week. But you know, it'd obviously be great to to see her have a good week. Obviously, she's trying to get in the back door, if you like, and get her LPGA card without having to go to qualifying school. So if she could pick up a good check this week, um, that would really help her. So you know, I love watching Gabby. She's she's got a great golf swing. Uh, she's got a, a great attitude, and yeah, I mean, she's a star of the future there's absolutely no doubt about that Karen one last question and it's sort of to you and sort of to Clates at the same time the Atlanta Athletic Club has probably been associated with um, you know a lot of big events on the men's tour for a long time how do you both or Clates to you first how do you see the course shaping up for a, for a women's major uh, I've never seen it so I don't know it's I think they're all uh, Sue said it's really soft then they, they got dragged off the course today for weather and tomorrow's going to be a bad day so it's, it's soft it's where it'll be you know, I think they play women's golf. I think the courses are all too short. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've watched them play. They smash it. There are five. There are four or five women on that tour, statistically longer than Greg Norman was in 1985. <laughs> so, you know, I think they play courses too short. But you know, the course is famous for. You probably. But it was a long time ago, now, 1976. Jerry Pate. Mm-hmm. Jerry Pate's five on. Yep, Jerry, yep. Jerry Pate had to par the last hole to win the Open. He was a rookie. It was his first year on two, and he drove it in the rough, and he had a, he had a decent line in the rough. And the pin was way over in the far left corner. He had a five iron to three feet. Like a, it was an amazing shot. He beat Weisskopf and yep. Al Geiberger by a shot, but it was but by two shots in the end. But the scene of arguably the the greatest shot ever hit in the U.S. Open, certainly one of them. And then um, David Toms got up and down from short of the water to beat for a par to beat Mickelson in the PGA in 2001. So, so it's you know it's had some great finishes there. And I think, did they play the PJ that um, Duffner lost? Keegan Bradley won beat it. Keegan, yeah, Keegan Bradley beat Duffner yeah. in the playoff, right? Yeah, yeah. that was there. Yeah. It, it's Bobby Jones's home club, I think. Yeah. Karen, and, yeah, it's yeah. it's certainly got yeah, some I history. Mean, it has, yeah. And I mean, you know, it, it's, it's actually going to play a lot longer than the last women's major. I mean... Um, the women's US Open, I think they only played it around about 6,500 yards, which is which is pretty short. But they're playing it at over 6,800 yards this week, so that's mm. a that's a pretty long course for LPGA standards. Um, and you know, as Kate said, it's wet. The forecast is not great for tomorrow, so it's going to play long. Um, I don't know how they've got it set up. I haven't really been able to find much on the internet as yet, um, or not really any interviews from players as yet. But uh, you know, presumably they've made the rough stick. Um, the greens will be be quick, but um, 6,800 that's going to play long. If it's soft, so um, yeah, it'll, I'm sure it'll be a great test. Like I said, I did play there in a pro am about a thousand years ago, but I don't remember much about it. 6,800 yards, Clay. They finally listened to you, maybe. Well, that, well, that's how long it. It depends where they put the tees. Yeah, of course. But yeah, you know, 6,800 yards is a. Uh, that's a decent. If there's no run, that's long. That's a long course. Yeah. So, still few, so you would think that wedges. would. You would think that would help help someone like Aria who bombs it a long way through the air and had he tanner and uh, yeah. nearly yeah. quarter, they'll, yeah. all, they'll all get it out there about 300. Yeah, it's amazing how many good golf swings there are. I mean, I think the swings on the women's tour are better looking oh. than the swings on the men's tour. Yeah. Karen, uh, as I said, we're thrilled to have you on and, and always the bubble in your voice is awesome. So thank you again. Um, good insight into the big tournament and uh, a fascinating year on the women's tour. Thanks again for joining us. No, no worries, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Karen Lund joining us on Inside the Ropes. We'll be back with more in just a moment. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Thanks again to Karen Lund for joining us. I, it's a, it, I agree wholeheartedly, Clades. It's great to watch the women play, and I'm really looking forward to seeing them at that club because you do recognise a couple of holes when you see them. It's been side of a couple of tour championships on the US Tour as well as the PGA Championships. So it um, be good to see the women tested out at a bit of a longer length than normal. So that's good. I'm glad that one of your um, little... Bugbears has been ironed out maybe by the LPGA. That's encouraging. So the course has been too short. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, it, it, yeah. the perception without having gone to watch a women's tournament um, is that they, you know, they don't hit it very long in comparison to the men, which I suppose is still well, true they, in comparison to the, the top end of the men's game. But they hit it probably, well, statistically, like I said, there were four or five players longer than Greg was. Yeah. Oh, there are people on the Statistically. LPGA tour now who hit it further than some of the PGA players. Well, uh, well, two, what, what, what's their yeah? What's their longest? What are they average? Two eighty, maybe two eighty-five. Oh, yeah, the, the average is not comparable. 
Yeah. It'd be a bit, a bit less, I think. So, so the longest on the LPJ would be in the bottom 10 players on the men's yes. tour. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, there are a lot of players who hit the ball as far as Graham Marsh did or John Mahaffey or you know, Tom Kite or yeah. players like that. Yeah. You know, g- good distance. Yeah. And it's so pure to watch. Oh, it's fantastic. Now, Clates, we were talking off air before we started this podcast. Um, John Rahm became the... Uh, I guess he had his name struck off that horrendous list of the best player not to have won a major championship. Um, it's a famous old list. Sergio took his name off it a couple yeah. of years ago. Um, there's a whole heap, of pl- whole heap of players. Well, Scotty took his name off yeah. in 2013. Um, look, you, you could argue about Colin Montgomery until the, till the day you drop here, but let, let's talk about who's got the mantle globally. But there was a, a question um, that came up, and I – on social media during the week, who's the best Australian player not to have won a major championship? And I'd like your thoughts on both of those matters. The best player not to win a major? Yeah. Male player. Male player, probably. Well, you could argue the same. Bruce Crampton was both the best player not to win a major. I would think the best Australian player not to win a major. And Four, I, oh, you're like, saying worldwide? Well, Maybe. 14 times he won on the PGA Tour. It was second in the three majors in America. No, he didn't play. He barely played the Open in Britain. But he was second at the Masters, second at the U.S. Open, second at the PGA. To Nicholas mainly. In fact, I think all three to Nicholas. So, Crampton was an, a brilliant player, fantastic player. You know, Devlin, I think, won eight times. Appleby won eight times. Norman Von Nieder was. I think he still got the record in Europe for the most number of wins in a season. In Europe. So, oh, I am going to include the women in the Australian conversation. Okay. Oh, because I what about so, what about Rachel Hetherington? Yeah, yeah, she was probably the best who didn't win a major. I would think. Who else is there in that? Jan, Jan Stevens has probably won a major. Well, Karen Lunn, who who uh, we spoke to earlier, the, won the British Open. Which British Open wasn't, wasn't a major, a major at the time. It, yeah. So she certainly won quite a bit in Europe. So, so who are you plumping for, Clates? You're going for Bruce Crampton as the best Australian. His uh, best Australian not to win a major. Yeah, Crampton, I would think. Yeah, Appleby, Allenby. Crampton won more. I think Allenby won four times. Appleby won six. So Crampton's got him covered there. And his record in the majors was better. So, yeah, Crampton absolutely would be the... I think, arguably, he's at the top of the other list too. Just best really? players not to win a major. Yeah, well, what do you got? Westwood, Montgomery, Bruce Litsky. You know, there was a lot of guys who were great, fantastic players who didn't win majors, but Crampton would be right there. Lee Westwood on a world scale is... Pretty pretty good player to have not won one. Yeah, he's been around for. I mean, he his first year on the tour in Europe was my last year, nineteen ninety six. So he's twenty five years a long time to play as well as he's played. He to me is had a career marked by longevity as much as dominance, though. Like Monty was the preeminent player on that European tour for years. Yeah, he was. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, but he won the thing. Seven times, seven years in a row, or eight years in a row, the main list, Something I think. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And I sort of think that he's the one based on his record for me. But I, yeah. on the men's side, not having seen Crampton at his best, um, I think Appleby, but I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm saying, I'm listening to you and I'm going to go for Crampton because based on what you said, that's not where Appleby reached. But from those who I've seen, I would have thought Appleby. Yeah. I agree with you as far as players that I saw. I remember Bruce Crampton, Clates, 
when I was a kid growing up, I remember watching him on TV, and I was I thought he was a very finicky kind of uh, slow player. Was that? He was slow. Yeah, he was bipolar. I think mm. he was an odd guy, but incredible play. He was the first guy I saw. I watched him on the range at Victoria. Nick DePaul was coming for him. Nick DePaul caddied for Graham Marsh for a long time. Caddied for Seve when Seve won the Open in 1984, and he was seeing five irons or something. And Nick was not even moving, just plucking the ball out of the Crampton was just rifling it. It was a party trick, really, <laughs> but it was um, he was incredibly impressive. And I, I watched him play a practice round. I was the only one who walked around. Tom Watson and Bruce Crampton played a practice round of Victoria, I think in 1975. Watched them 18 holes. It was they were great. They, you know, they, they let me walk close enough to listen, and it was fantastic. You know, they, that's awesome. They were fantastic players. I'm going to throw back. You mentioned him earlier, just briefly, but I want to put Von Neider, Norman Von mm. Neider, back on the table here as the Australian, because I again, obviously, I didn't see him play. But um, born in 1914, you could argue that he was at the height of his physical powers during the World War. Yeah, when there was no major championship for a long time and immediately after the uh the second world war he was fourth sixth and third in the open in consecutive years yeah. so it was 46 the year he won all those tournaments i think it was 1946 he won all those tournaments in uh, europe i think he won like seven or eight times in europe okay um, and in terms of influence he was 1947 i think 47 that is. he was yeah. arguably the certainly the most influential australian player of his time he was a great mentor to thompson i think when thompson first went to to Britain to play, he, he offered to share his prize money with him to make sure Thompson had enough money to get through the year. And he taught a lot of players. He actually, it was a great, he was a better motivator than he was a teacher. But he was passionate about Australian golf and young Australian players. And he was the Italian national coach. And when he retired from that job, he recommended Tom Linsky, Australian pro, who went over there and he found Constantino Rocca who he knew as a player, working in a factory in Bergamo. And he said, what happened? He said, why the two pros of the club don't want me working there? They're kind of jealous of me and I've had enough. So he was working in a plastic factory, I think. And wow. Linsky, Linsky said, you're way too good to be working in a factory. Come out and play golf. And so and know, now he's a fabled part of the Open. So almost indirectly, that was a result of what Norman had done. He said, when he was old, he was over there. He was buying horses for, who's the big, Hayes? Colin, Colin, Colin Hayes, he, used to, he was a great horseman, Von Neider. He was, yes, but he, he was over in Italy sourcing horses and he came to the, the Italian national coach. And when he was old, like in, he probably ran his late 60s or 70s, almost as old as we are, <laughs> he, um, <laughs> he recommended Tom Linsky for the job and Linsky unearthed Constantino Rocca. So Von Neider's, and he caddied for Walter Hagen at Royal Queensland in 19. God knows, 1920-something. Wow. Hagen said, famously said, Yvonne was like 14. He said, I'm the best player here, son. He said, good, because I'm the best caddy. <laughs> Peter <laughs> Thompson told me once, Hazy, that uh, he went to Von Neider's house or hotel room mm. somewhere. Oh, the pants, yeah. yeah. Von Neider said, look, son, this is when he was very young. Peter Thompson was a very young pro or might have mm. even been an amateur. And uh, he took him over to the wardrobe and he opened up the door and said, have a look at this. You, you've got to look like a player, you know, and yeah. Tomo said he'd never seen anything like it, like pristine rows of trousers, yeah. beautifully pressed trousers, you know, and he, he never forgot that. You know. 
And he yeah, looked, he Tomo looked, always looked good when when I've seen oh sure. uh, yeah. footage of Tomo. He always looked yeah, terrific, yeah. but early on, not so much. Mm. Is that right? Mm. Yeah, the bomb was. Yeah. And he, Bruce Devon does a good podcast now. It's called "For the Good of the Game," F O R E, the good of the game. And he was talking to, he was talking about how he got home one day from work. He was a, his father had a plumbing business in Goulburn. He got home from work and Norman was in the kitchen with his wife. Saying you've got to convince Bruce to turn pro, and oh yes, Devon was saying, you know, I really had no intention of. I never thought I was good enough, and it was, you know, there was no money. And Norman was the guy who convinced Devon to turn pro. Yeah, I've heard that story. I think you yeah. might have even told it on our podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. have another question for Clates. If we, yeah, ready. go for it. Is this that? Was that what this segment is? I'm just wondering whether you, you now. I think you're about sixty four now. Sixty four. Yep. Exactly. Yep. yep. Have you started to? Th- has it ever entered your mind about? Shooting your age. Funny, I was on a phone call. Because there's someone very famous yes. in recent days who, who yeah. has. So I was I'll tell a, you who in a I was on a phone call this morning with Billy Lomia, who's working for our business in Britain. Um, and Billy broke his age when he was 61. Oh, oh well. <laughs> I said, you must have been the youngest guy ever to do that. So Well, he, normally it's a thing you would do in your so 70s. He, Billy played with Chuck. It came up because he, he played with Peter Fowler and Travost at the European Seniors event last week, and he said, Chuck hasn't gotten any faster than he used to be over the years. <laughs> but has he broken his age? But Billy that? finished bogey-bogey to shoot 69, so he missed it by two, I think. <clears throat> well, so are you who, thinking about it? Well, so I could do it. I could probably, if I went to Heels, I could to probably to, do it. You'd have to go to a little <laughs> toy course. And yeah. I, when we played... Sandringham yesterday, past 65. I actually didn't think of it. But, there you go. But shooting, we have this thing called the game, which Jeff Ogilvie's foundation organises. It's kind of four or five groups of kids playing with old, old guys. And, you know, we, it's just a way for kind of mentoring and helping kids and talking about golf and how, how their careers might work out. And there's not many, there aren't many harder courses in the country to shoot par on than Sandringham. Mm, spot on. So really, they, oh, oh, no, I, played, I played with, you know, everyone came in and said, Blake Collier have shot 64, I think, and won. You think par 65, bunch of par threes, this will be easy, this place. It's really hard to shoot par on that course. Yes. Having, so, so there'd be, there's a few sort of club players around the country, I'm sure, Hazy. I spoke to one a few weeks ago, a guy called Tom Sample uh, up in Sydney at Bonnie Doon Golf mm. Club, and he he's shot his age a few times. And, Sure, there's a, quite a few older older guys around the country and women as well, probably who've shot their age. But the one who did it just recently, and it, I heard this on an, a uh, a video that Channel Nine did, is uh, none other than G Norman. For the, I believe for the first time he shot 66. I think uh, I saw I, that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, they did that segment. He did that Zoom call. Yeah, with yes. someone about coming back to Australia or something. So and, he's about Pelican Waters. Yeah, Pelican so Waters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he shot he shot his age, and that the reporter didn't kind of follow it through and find out exactly where it was. But uh, he's, he's now done it. I'm, not, played, sure that, I'm not sure we're ever going to do that, Hazy. We played the, the way you are, you're a chance. You're going <laughs> I beautifully. I say that. We used to play the – it was a great tournament on the senior tour in Europe in Bad Regats in Switzerland. And Bob Charles shot 68 when he was 73. Wow. Charlie, Charlie would – I mean, he's the best. Um, how old is Charlie now? He was probably – 940 something he was born. He's probably 82 or three. I guarantee you Charlie breaks his age every time he plays. Mm. There can't be many better 83-year-old players in the world than Bob Charles. Gary Player might give him a good match, but Charlie's in great shape. Well, we spoke to the girls, the women from Hamilton last week um, who and the originator of their program that won the 
um, Visionary of the Year award is 87 at Hamilton and still plays off 13. Pretty good. So that she must be... She might be the club champion. Yeah, well, she might well be, yeah. which is, you know, she must be round about her, her yeah. age every time for a handicap to be at that level. So um, that's phenomenal. Anything, Clay, this is clean slate for you. This is What's that? anything you want to put on the table because you've always got something that's bubbling around in your uh, golfing well, brain. Do we know about the Australian Open this year? You're meant to be asking you questions, not well, the other way around. How's the Australian I think it's Open watch this year? space, isn't watch it, Hazy? It's, yeah. uh, they, they, well, it's certainly Golf Australia want to have the event again mm. after missing last year because of COVID. So it's it's in train. Good. Yeah. Just discussions ongoing, basically. It, 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 they're just working through ways to, to bring it to, to life. and It'll be in Sydney if it happens, I, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's, it's, it should be... Yeah, I, I guess the question is, do you have to play even though you don't have you know, a whole lot of guys that aren't going to come because you're not going to sit in a hotel for two weeks to play this round open? But do you, I suppose the question is, do you play it anyway? Yeah, I think that's exactly where where they're at and I think they want to go ahead and do that yeah, with and it, it and it may end up being a, a quite a compromised field but have an event anyway I know a question I want to ask you Clay sorry this is a bit off the cuff but we watched last week in Sweden the Annika and, and the mixed thing yeah yeah the mixed thing Benson, yeah and um it was remiss of me at the time not to to reference the TPS of the Australian PGA put on this this year in in uh both in Victoria and in New South Wales um, in in January. Yeah, like Caddy Farrell was in both of them. They were great. Great. Yeah. Rosebud and Boynton, they were fantastic tournaments. And we spoke at length a little bit last week, Ellie and I, about that tournament in Sweden and, and didn't bring that up. But is those are those tournaments still to you a... Um, an, an anomaly or is that, is that the actual future of the I game? Think, no, I think that we need much more... Ta- uh, especially in Australia, of men and women playing together. And it's the chicken and egg thing is it's hard, it's hard splitting the field equally because the women don't have the depth. But do they not, have, but, but, but do they not have the depth because you we don't give the them a the chance to – we, we were talking about it yesterday, how golf must be the no better than 10th in terms of sports, athletic girls – women would pick to play professionally so you mean or, if you're 16, at a high level. So if you're a girl at 16. You, or 12, you're not picking golf. Okay. In Korea, I've, I've spoken to Young a lot about this. Golf is the number one sport for girls to pick to play if they've got athletic talent. In Australia, it's way below swimming and athletics and football and hockey and yeah. basketball and soccer and netball. And Whereas to me, I mean, not that you should play sport to make money, but if you, if, if you were going to pick one sport, where you could have a great career at playing at a high level and make a great living at golf would be number one. Mm. You, we watched the Olympic swimming trials last week. If you don't run the top two, you don't even go to the Olympics. No, you could be you could be fifth like, in the what world. What a ridiculous and... sport to, to to but look how many brilliantly talented athletes are swimming, yeah. plowing up and down swimming pools at five in the morning. Where Gabby Ruffles, Gabby was a tremendous tennis player, gave up you know one of the best juniors in Australia, gave up tennis at what fifteen, took up golf. She's almost, she's almost. Well, she's had what four four majors where she hasn't been out of the top twenty. She's got athletic talent. That, that, that's what if you pick talented athletes, I don't understand why more of them don't play golf mm. because there's, there are so many great pathways to getting amongst the best best players in the world. If, if you're so, yeah, you could be the fifth best swimmer in Australia and not ever no one's seen, ever heard your name. Not, not so so it's a Olympics. chicken and anything. So do you go down the TPS route and split fields? 
like we did at Rosebud and Bonnie Doon and have a bunch of women playing. And I mean, they were, they were great tournaments to watch. They were fun to caddy and great to watch. They weren't great fields, but they were decent. And the golf was good. Mm. And at Rosebud, we had Sue O and Elvis and Brad Kennedy essentially tied or within one of the league with four holes to go. It's a great fun tournament to watch. I had another question for Clates Hazy. What do you think about green reading books? And what did you what did you make of the US tour players uh, apparently voting to end mm. the use of green reading books by the end of this season and from then on? Uh, they haven't said yet, as far as I understand, they haven't said whether they'll be allowed to have them for practice rounds, but certainly for tournaments they'll they'll be finished at the end of this year. What do you think about that? Great. Did anyone disagree with banning green reading books? Oh well, I don't think so. But but Bryson DeChambeau is the apart one from that the guy who makes them, yeah, well, who, who went crazy. But well, the thought is that that they'll still be out there and people will look at them, but they just won't be able to bring them to the course and use it on the on the day, which is probably okay, isn't it? Yeah, I think green, green reading should be a skill, and, and yeah. we should be doing things that speed up play, not slow it down. And people will say, well, it speeds up play because it makes the green quicker to read. And Mickelson says, well, if you're using it properly. You're pulling it out before you get to the green. You're not pulling it out on the green. Mm. But I don't think there was a, there wasn't one comment I heard that was negative about the decision they made to ban them. Mm. Rory was pretty adamant about it that it was a good thing for the In game. In fact, they Will should not only ban them, they Will should do what Augusta do and ban the guy coming out to do them. So that no one has, you, if if you want a green, you've got to go and figure it out yourself. Mm. Draw lines in the book yourself. But green reading ought to be a skill. In, you know, it's, it's an art as much as a science. It, the more you take the art out of the game, and that's what the ball's done, it's what the modern equipment's done, you know, the worse it is, I think. Yeah. Any more for our little Ask Clates impromptu session, Blakey? No, not really. I think you've done pretty well there, Clates. Anything you want to put on the table yourself? Uh, I don't think so. Where are, the, where are the men playing this with? The Travellers in Hartford, Connecticut, oh, Hartford? Yeah. I, I, I Dustin Johnson know. is defending no, the Dustin Travellers Johnson. Championship. Okay. okay. All right, we'll take a quick break and come back and uh, tell you what the Aussies got up to around the world this week. There's some great results. Uh, we'll more of that after the break. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Um, always great to get Clayton's thoughts there. And um, Gents, it was, a, it was a pretty big week, to be honest, Blakey, wasn't it, for some Australians around the world? There's some big ramifications for a couple of great results. Uh, well, probably the big one was, uh, there's a couple, but Brett Drewitt finishing tied third on the Corn Ferry Tour in Wichita took him from outside the top 25, or the 25 as they call him, into, <laughs> he's, I think he's up to number 23, oh, so okay. he's, on, he's on the verge of getting his card to play on the PGA Tour next season, so and Hazy, I think Blake Windred had a good result in on the Challenge Tour in Europe as well. He was second, was tied second, didn't he? I think he was tied second, right? Yeah, he was. Hazy will have it there in front of him. Yeah, he ended up second. tied second. Um, he had a he was thereabouts after two rounds and had a 70 in the third and fought back, um, gave himself a chance uh, in the Challenge to España, which is, uh, how's that? That was pretty good for me. That's good. Like, for in yeah. Cadiz in Spain. Um, the Sevi of our podcast. <laughs> uh, so, so there's no tour school in Europe this year, is that Well, right? there's there's talk that there's going to be no tour, yeah, no tour school. So um, this is the best way. And if, mm. and if Blake Windred can push on there, Dimi Papadatos was the other Australian to make the cut. Jared Felton and Dean Lawson, unfortunately, didn't make the cut in Spain. Um, but Blake Windred's pushing up to the 20 get through there, and he's just on the outside of that at the moment, but starting to play some pretty competitive golf. So 
uh, high hopes there for the uh, young Novocastrian. We mentioned uh, sort of on and off the results on the LPGA Tour. Um, Suo, uh, we were getting pretty excited when she opened out with 67-65. And not that she you know, went flat or anything, but 69-71 to close. And, and uh, um, it was... Nellie Corder just blew the doors off as she went past the first two Those times. Those quarters, yeah. they're hard to beat. Yeah. They're good. Yeah. First two, three, three, three events this year, they won. Nellie's won twice. Yeah. She's the first two-time winner this year, which is amazing. So hopefully Number we, three in the world. Yeah, hopefully we can get... So um, Jessica was, last I saw, she was 13th in the world. when the, I think that's about right. Top 15 go to Tokyo. So she's got to stay in the top oh. 15. So the cutoff for that's next Monday. Yeah, uh, so you get we're speaking on a Tuesday, but next you Monday's get two event. players per country, but you can get four in if you, you can get four in if they're in the top fifteen in the world. So Correct. Jessica's got to stay. She was thirteenth. I don't know what she did last week. She played okay last week, but she was in the mix somewhere. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Nelly caught her. We, we saw her hazy winner Women's Australian Open uh, over in Adelaide a couple of years ago. She's just uh, she's a tremendous talent. And Clates, I know that you you're quite close with the Corder family, aren't you? So. You've had I, quite a bit. I came for Nelly and Adelaide a few years ago. Yeah, I, yeah, I know them reasonably well. But. So Jess is down to 13th in the world and immediately in front of Minji, who's climbed back over Hannah Green, um, amazingly enough, this week. But they're all within, um, you know, a 0.01 point of each other, those those three women. So uh, So Yon is actually outside at number 16. Clates at, um, yeah, but there are how many Koreans in the top 15? Well, I mean, like Jin Young Ko, Inby yeah, Park, Se Young Kim. Uh, Huju Kim is going down. That's the hardest team to get in in the world. Yeah, sport. so 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 Yonru's out of it there. So she's she's one, two, three, four. There are four in the top nine, and she's the next at sixteen. Oh, okay, so sixteen so, in the world, and you don't get in in the yeah. uh, sixty-player <laughs> yeah. field yeah. for the Olympic Games. I with. see um, Rory Sabatini's playing for, He's Slovakia. Playing for Slovakia. What a joke! <laughs> we, we should uh, talk about the Australians in that hazy because the teams uh, the cutoff has already finished for the. Men and the women's is next Monday, as I said. And Leishman and Cam Smith at 45 and 28 in the world are the two who've finished with the, the correct rankings. And they're, as I understand it, very keen to go to Japan. So the teams won't be announced for a little while because there's a process that has to be gone right. through. Um, but uh, I'd imagine, Hazy, that'll be the two. And that Hannah Green and Minji Lee are pretty much unassailable yeah. for the women. Correct. And we'll, yeah. we'll know that as you said, unofficially next week uh, and then officially within a couple of weeks um, we can announce those teams. But um, And I'm uh, going, Clates. You I'm are going. media liaison officer. Hazy, Hazy has handballed it, you know, nice little cutout pass to me. <laughs> and uh, I'm going. I'm not sure it's going to be the most exciting fortnight I think of we life. just It's like in a bubble. So yeah, you just, yeah. I, 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 Do you know the course? Uh, I don't know. They were going to play at Tokyo Golf Club, but Tokyo Golf Club don't have any women members. So they went across the street to Kasumi Kaseki, right. which I think is decent, but I think it might be a Doke five, maybe a six, but they played the, they played the World Cup there in the... <laughs> this is Clayton's uh, phone that's, here. That's fine, it's, I think. That's, um, they played the World Cup there in the mid-60s a few couple of times. And well, they've played the Austra- uh, Asian Amateur Pacific Championship. Yeah there as well. Just going back, I'll just run through those results that yeah. we, we glossed over. So Catherine Kirk, Usuo finished 15th in the end. Kat Kirk got up to 29th, closed really well. Gabby Ruffles, 45th alongside Hannah Green. Uh, Sarah Kemp and Sarah Jane Smith missed the cut on the Legends Tour over in Europe. Uh, Michael Long was uh, pretty encouraging there, finished 14th. Peter Fowley, your mate, Clance. Yeah, what did he finish? What he did he finished T17. 
banked another 2,900 euros. Wow. How yeah. would that go for him? I would pay the week, yeah. <laughs> and Michael Campbell, the uh, Kiwi champion, uh, is tied 33rd. And on the PGA Tour of Latino America, uh, Danny List, um, the unheralded, largely Danny List, missed the cut. There was the only player playing in Colombia. So, um, Clayton, Blakey, anyone else put any more in the table? I just wanted to uh, ask you both if you'd seen the overhead uh, photos of Augusta and what's going on. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there, there are bulldozers and, uh, you know, there's work going on everywhere. There, there's, the suggestion is, I, I don't know whether you can believe this, Clates, but the, the suggestion is that they might, there's been suggestions for years that they'll take the tee back on the 13th. They're now talking about the 15th. They yeah. might take the tee back because they're sick of players hitting sort of mid-irons over the, over the pond there at 15, but also number 11 which is 505 yards and that, that, par four at the moment. Yeah, that, that tee's gone back a lot. I mean, it's just... They already put it way back, yeah. I mean, Mike Davis has done it at the USGA um, after this week, I think, but then Mike Wan's the next boss. But at some point, who was the CEO of the LPGA Tour, someone needs to fix the ball up because you can't keep spending fortunes just taking tees further and further and further back. And Well, they're, they're the only club that can afford to do what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, it's just complete insanity. Yeah. It looks, I just called that up, Blakey. It looks pretty, looks pretty yeah. hectic what they're doing. There's a lot happening. Yeah, a lot yeah. happening. But, they, but in fairness, they do that every year. They do. Yeah, they dig they that do. place up every year. And the, there's been the, the speculation around the 13th tee, uh, which is the par five, hooking around to the left. It's probably, you know, it might be one of the best par fives on the planet. Yeah, well, and, they bought, uh, yeah, but, but they they do get right right round there. And they're, and they're hitting, I don't know, what are they hitting in there? Oh, some if you of hit, if you're seeing a hook around yeah, the corner. Yeah. Bubba, 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 Bubba hit a nine, but six, he hit it over. over Bubba hit a wedge, yeah, six, seven, eight often, yeah. but you know, five, still plenty of five, four and five irons. But they bought that land from Atlanta Country Club. The, hmm. Sorry, at, 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 yeah, Atlanta Country Augusta. No, Augusta Country Club. Correct. I'm getting mixed up with the yeah. KPMG. Yeah, they bought that land. God knows what they paid for it. A lot. A lot. They tend to buy a lot of stuff, Hazy. They yeah, well, they basically bought and raised the suburb next to it, so... Um, yeah, it just knows no bounds. It would be far simpler to just uh, put some rules in place around the ball and the clubs. But anyway, and that's... if and if one place could do it, they could do it. They, oh. they could just say, we go to the ball company and say, make a ball for us." Yeah, make a ball that goes far. Correct. Anyway, we're going well off yeah, topic we here. Clates, thank you. It's always great to have you in. Haven't seen you for a while. Thank you, Hazy. Um, Blakey, always good. Another huge performance from you. Good on you guys. Straightening the ship. That's episode number. 212. We'll be back to do it all again next week.